Our scripture this morning comes from Luke, and we continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke, focusing on the theme of the kingdom of God. And this is the um, story of the parable of the sower and its interpretation, which you have in uh, Mark and Matthew as well. Uh, hear God's word to us this morning, um, Luke 8, verses 4 through 21. And when a, great co- uh, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up and withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns drew, grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when uh, his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God for others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for um, what fell among the thorns, They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with much patience. No one, after a light and a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that we uh, would hear your word this morning and do it, that you would give us the kind of hearts that um, Jesus identifies as a good heart, a heart that receives the soil or uh, the seed, and it goes deep and it germinates. Lord, I pray, especially for all of us this morning, that each of us in whatever way that you are speaking to us, trying to get our attention, trying to um, communicate with us, that we would hear you. We'd hear your voice, and we'd know that, um, that you are present, and you're involved in our lives, and you desire a deeper love and relationship with you. I pray that would be true for everyone here. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Sometimes it's not easy to understand (laughs) what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. Um, 
which explains why there's so many different books written on the kingdom of God. There's something uh, elusive and mysterious about the kingdom, and Jesus uh, says as much in, in this text to his disciples. He says, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. And the word secret there is, in the Greek word, it's mysterion, where we get our word mystery. The question is, what are these secrets? What are the secrets that Jesus is talking about? Why, why does it have to be a mystery? I'm going to get straight to the point. The mystery is this. The mystery has to do with how. How the kingdom of God is established. How it comes about. And, it, and the mystery is this. The kingdom comes through hearing. The kingdom comes through hearing. This is the central idea of the parable of the sower. The kingdom does not come by means of popular uprising. It does not come as a cultural movement. It does not come through protesting and politicking and legislation. It does not come through uh, uh, political power. It comes through hearing, careful hearing, careful listening. Now, in, nobody was expecting this. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody's expecting the kingdom come to it like this. This is why it's a mystery. Uh, everyone expected... Um, the kingdom to come by force, because that's how every other kingdom in the world comes, by force. Uh, even John the Baptist um, thought this. You know, remember John, he boldly proclaims the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom. The kingdom is coming, and he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, right? Messiah is, is a political figure. Um, he's, he's like King David. He's going to come, and he's going to redeem Israel and vanquish all Israel's enemies. So John identifies Jesus as the Messiah. He boldly proclaims. He even um, he, <clears throat> he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, but then John is imprisoned. He's imprisoned, and <laughs> he sends word to Jesus through his disciples, and he says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, you can understand why John is confused, right? I mean, Jesus is the Messiah who's supposed to bring the kingdom but John is in prison. He's in prison. Right? This is the person, John, speaking of the Messiah, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's the one who has the winnowing fork in his hand. He's gathering in his wheat, and he's threshing the floor, and he's going to throw the shaft in the fire. Right? This is sort of majestic image of judgment where, where the Messiah is going to come in, and he's going to crush the enemies of God, and he's going to purify, and he's going to restore but John's in prison, and now he's, he's doubting. He's wondering whether he got it wrong. What's the delay? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in the world, and John, like everybody else, was, was, um, was looking not, he was looking for something else, right? And he gets confused. Um, John was expecting, like, the kingdom to kind of come down like a rock, right, from the heavens, like a meteor that falls from the heaven to the earth and crushes all the opposition beneath it. Almost like the way we think about Avengers today, right, in Marvel movies, right? They come down, right, and they use all their supernatural, superhuman strength to vanquish all the bad guys, all the enemies. But that's not how Jesus works. The kingdom doesn't come like a rock that smashes everything like a hulk, it comes like a seed, like a seed that's thrown on the ground and grows into a tree. Uh, this is a very important 
to understand how God works in the world and how God works in our lives personally. God works not through force and coercion. Nobody is ever forced in the, into the faith. <laughs> Nobody can ever be forced into faith or bullied into belief. Nobody grows deeper in their Christian life by means of an external pressure upon them. And that's why all political and cultural efforts to advance and to propagate Christianity in the world are doomed to fail. They might succeed in creating the external features or the semblance or maybe Christian values, but they cannot create genuine belief. They're incapable of doing this. And whenever they try to do this, and this actually happens quite a bit in history, it happens, it's happening in our day and age now, where Christianity is a political movement or a cultural movement, but when this happens, Christianity is grossly distorted. It becomes idolatrous. The kingdom of God cannot come from the outside in. It can only go from the inside out, right? See, a rock that falls on top of you is an outside in. <laughs> but a seed that's planted in your heart grows from the inside out. And that's how the gospel works in our hearts. That's how the gospel works in the world. And that is the mystery of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here that is connected with this parable. And that brings us to the centrality of hearing and listening in the Christian life. Christianity is a religion of the ear. It is a religion of the ear, more so than of the eyes or the hands or of taste. It's a religion of the ear. God, for sure, he engages all of our senses, but there's something special about the ear. God has access to the human heart and accesses the human heart through the ear, through listening. Think about it, right? In the beginning, how does God create the world? He speaks it into existence. He says, let it be. When God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he speaks to Moses. Moses writes down God's word. And then the call to obedience. What is the call to obedience in Deuteronomy 5? Hear. Hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's hearing. See, in, in the Hebrew imagination, hearing and obeying are one and the same thing. It's hearing. And this brings us to the, the central, central point of this parable, which is the word of God is a seed, or the seed is the word of God, and the grounds upon which the, the, the seed falls is various forms of the human heart, right? The primary way that God accesses the human heart is through the ear. You could think of the ear as the heart's organ of perception, right? That's how the heart kind of navigates and listens to the world, or hears the world. It's through the ear. So... It's something about hearing that is, connects us. And this is why Jesus is so emphatic in this parable and really throughout his ministry. He, he says, listen. This is what he means. Like, Anybody who has a ear, listen. Pay attention. Pay heed to how you listen. For it is possible for you to think that you have heard, but you have not. To think you have understood, but you have not understood. You have not heard me. Now, the underlying assumption of this parable is that the human heart is the most resistant place in all of creation to the word of God. The human heart is the most resistant place in all of creation to the word of God. Now, right after this parable, there are three stories in chapter 8 that demonstrate the power of Jesus' words to make things happen in the world. The first story, which we meet, 
is when Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and the storm whips up and the disciples are in fear and danger that they're going to drown and Jesus wakes up and he just rebukes the wind and just says, stop. <laughs> can you imagine if Jesus can just like to, to be able to speak to a hurricane and it stops in its tracks? That's basically what happens, right? The second story, Jesus goes after he gets off the boat to the garrison. There's a man who is possessed by a legion of demons. He's so dangerous to himself and to others that he's chained up outside of town. Jesus comes to this man, and the demons speak to Jesus and plead with him and beg him, say, let us just go into the pigs. So Jesus says, okay, go into the pigs. But the demons are cast out simply by the word of Jesus' mouth. And then the third story, the, there's a man named Jairus who's, whose daughter is sick. He's a ruler. She eventually dies. And then Jesus comes, and he's, he's hovering over the lifeless body of this little girl. And he holds her hand, and he says, child, awake. She comes alive. I mean, there is nothing that can resist his voice. Not the winds, not the demonic powers, not even death. He can vanquish all by the mere word of his mouth. But there's one thing. <laughs> there's one thing that resists God's word. And that is the human heart. The human heart is the most resistant place in all of creation to the word of God. And that's why the kingdom, that's why the kingdom must advance through hearing. All opposition to God's righteousness, all opposition to the justice of God in the world is ultimately rooted in the resistance of the human heart. It's not social structures, political structures, ideological systems that are the source. Their power to shape the world reflects the human heart. I mean, you can change all these things, right? You can change the social systems. You can change the politics. You can change the ideologies that influence people. And things will change for a little bit <laughs> until the human heart kind of takes control again, right? If you haven't changed the human heart, you haven't really changed anything at all. And that means that the kingdom of God as a reality, if it is going to take root in the world, it has to start with a human heart. The human heart is the most powerful force for change in the world. Think about it. Think about your relationship to the government or the state, right? The state can control your body, can tell you what to do or not to do with your body. This is a big part of our politics today. But what it can't do is it can't control your heart, right? It can't control your heart. See, what the heart, whoever controls the heart controls the body, controls the world. So all things, political and social and cultural, they, they flow from the heart, which is why, again, for Jesus, the, the heart, the heart is the front line, right? The front line of his ministry, it's the place of the deepest opposition to God in the world. Okay, but the problem is this. The problem is this, is that the human heart is like a spin zone. This is not Jesus' words, but mine. The human heart is like a spin zone. It's like Fox News or MSNBC, right? Uh, everything is interpreted through a partisan lens. Any news story, doesn't matter what it is, goes through the partisan lens. Um, but instead of the partisan lens, right, it, it's sort of like our personal narcissistic lens that we run all of life and reality through, right? Um, reality must conform to ideology. That's, that's how it works, right? Reality must conform 
to my ideology, my perspective of the world. We hear what we want to hear. Right? Have you ever met somebody like this where you're like, they're hard of hearing? I mean, they can hear all right. They hear words and sounds. But they kind of, you come away and you're like, wow, they just heard what they wanted to hear. They didn't actually hear what I was saying. Right? This is how we are with God. We hear what we want to hear. His voice, surprisingly, is always conforms to our desires. <laughs> um, it's amazing. The things we don't want to hear, we manage to just, like, filter out. I mean, this happens all the time in relationships, right? In human, meaningful human relationships, especially in marriage. Especially in marriage. It's often the case that in marriage, one spouse will be really struggling with the other and saying, speaking, this needs to change. This needs to change. And the other person's like, yeah, I hear you. Okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Yes, yes, honey, yes. But then nothing changes, right? Um, I have examples of this in my own life. I'm not going to share those stories. Tim Keller, though, has a story. <laughs> Tim Keller has a great story about this in his book on marriage. He said it in a marriage in his book, so I can share it. Um, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he tells a story about how his wife, Kathy, had been telling him in, in the, earlier in his ministry life, when they had small kids, you're working too much. You're working too much, and our, our family is suffering. It's a lot of strain. And Tim's like, yeah, honey, okay, okay, I get it. Once we're through this, I'm through this season, this really busy season in the life of the church, I'll slow down, I'll be more present. Well, time went by, nothing changed. He was still gone all the time, still working constantly. One day, Keller, Tim comes home, and he finds his wife on the balcony, and she's sitting on the floor, and she has a hammer, and she has all their wedding china, and she's just smashing it with a hammer, right? And he's like, he's, he's just like shocked, and he's like, oh man, my wife has had an emotional meltdown, what happened? And um, she says to him calmly, you are not listening to me. You don't realize that the, these long hours that you are going to destroy this family. I don't know how to get through to you. You aren't seeing how serious this is. And then she brings the hammer down and she smashes a cup. She says, this is what you're doing to our, our family. Smash. And Keller says that uh, when he collected himself and he sat down trembling before his wife and then afterwards as he was reflecting on the incident and as he writes, he said he observed that he had become addicted to productivity. I mean, he didn't actually want to stop working because he felt so productive, and he couldn't hear. He couldn't hear what his wife was saying. Now, this happens to all of us, I think. It happens to all of us. I'm not meaning this as a marriage application, but if it fits, you guys do with it as you please. I'm talking about our relationship with God, though. We do this with God all the time. Um, we think that we're hearing God, and he's speaking, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, but nothing changes, right? We keep living the same way. This is why Jesus speaks in parables. Parables are kind of hard to get and understand. And the reason is, is they're, they're meant to be disruptive, to disrupt business as usual. He wants to wake us up. And in the same way that, that, that Kathy Keller did with her husband, <laughs> smashing the china, get his attention. And that's why Jesus is so emphatic about, listen, pay attention. Are you listening? Are you listening to me? Dear friends, <laughs> are you listening to God in your life? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? 
Has he been saying things to you? Things that you don't want to hear. Has he been calling you? Calling you to do something in particular that you resist? Friends, the danger is this. Is that the longer that you hear God's voice and you don't respond or you don't obey or you ignore, it gets harder and harder to hear it again. See, the more, you, we, the more God speaks to us and we don't obey, our hearts become hard. And then we just can't hear anymore. We become deaf. That's what Jesus says, pay attention, pay attention. Now, where does that leave us when it comes to hearing God, listening to God's voice in your life? How do we actually do this? Jesus here gives us four tests, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, hopefully, <laughs> um, on these. Um, he gives us four tests for listening and hearing. Hearing tests, you might think, to understand whether we have impaired hearing or not. And these correspond to the different, the different ground types. right? And there's four different kinds of hearts that you can have um, when it comes to hearing. One is, is a hard heart. One is a shallow heart. One is a divided heart. And then there's the one that Jesus calls the good heart. And the first test of hearing is, is that for a hard heart. Jesus says, and I'm going to combine here um, the parable, the words of the parable, along with his explanation. Um, so the first uh, thing that the, falls on, he says, Some of the seed fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this is the first. This is a description of a hard heart. The hard heart is a heart that is hostile and resistant to God's word. It's an unbelieving heart. Now, an unbelieving heart is not the same thing as a heart that doubts. There's a really important difference between the experience of doubt and the experience of unbelief. They're not the same thing. It's possible. See, when our hearts are hardened, it's not that we cannot believe. Right? It's not that I have doubts. I don't understand how all of this fits. I don't, I don't understand the reasons, God, why you're doing what you're doing. It's, it's more, it's deeper than that. It's moral. It's actually, it's like, I don't want to believe. Right? I can't believe because I don't want to believe. Right? It's not that the message is, is too outlandish or I don't have good reasons. I don't want to believe. And so there's a kind of hostility there to where we're not even open to any plausible explanation, any more context, or anything that would give it a hearing. And again, this is a very different from doubt. It's possible to have a lot of significant and deep doubt in your life, but still have a very deep faith. These are not incompatible things. But there's a subtle difference between doubt and unbelief. And I think sometimes it's really, really hard for us to, to see the difference. Sometimes unbelief masquerades in our life as doubt. Oftentimes, unbelief, a willful refusal to believe is masked behind reasons that I don't have good enough reasons, right? Um, now, I think the, the paradigm example of unbelief in the Bible is, is Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh from the book of Exodus? He's a classic example of unbelief, right? Pharaoh is given 10 plagues miraculous plagues where God's like, I will show you my power and strength, right? Pharaoh's like, I don't believe, right? I, I'm not going to believe. And, 
and God does one powerful, miraculous thing after another, and after each time, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He hardens his heart, right? It's not that he lacked proof or evidence. It's simply that he did not want to believe, in part because he did not want to give up his slave labor force, right? See, to accept what Moses was saying would have been meant radical change for him and for the, the nation of Egypt. And I think this is, this is the subtlety of unbelief in our lives. Um, we want to be the Pharaoh of our own lives. <laughs> we, want to be, we want to be Pharaoh. We don't want to let God be God. And so oftentimes, we, 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 and, and we can very easily hide our unbelief behind doubt. Now, I have one question for you to pose to yourself of this perhaps is where you're at to help uncover this. And it's this. Do you want to believe? Do you want to believe? If it was possible for God to explain <laughs> why and what his reasons are, would you believe? Would you, do you really want to or not? So that's the hard heart. The second heart that Jesus talks about is the shallow heart. A shallow heart. Uh, and some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, and because I had no moisture, and as the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root, and they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Now, what does it mean to have a shallow heart? A shallow heart is, means that you hear God's word and you, you, you receive it enthusiastically. You're super excited. It's changed your life. But you have not really sat with it long enough to where you begin to really consider the cost and the consequences of being a follower of Jesus for your life. And so it sort of sits on the surface. And it might even begin to, to germinate the seed under the ground. But it just doesn't go very deep. It's just a kind of emotional response and, you know, as life goes and your excitement about going to church and being a Christian and being serious about the spiritual life as the emotion tends to leave and it gets less and less exciting, other things come along. And these are exciting. And eventually just the seed dies and withers and goes away. We never really took time to dig deep. We never counted the cost. We never listened deeply. And so the, it dies. I think that a shallow heart is a really common phenomenon within Christianized cultures. Like, really, like, we're, we're Christi a Christian culture and Christian values um, where our national identities are kind of bound up with our religious identities. Um, people who self-identify as Christian but for the most part are largely disconnected from the church where Christianity is mainly a political identity more than anything else. And a question that you might ask is this. Is Christianity merely a part of my cultural identity, my family identity, or is it a living relationship that has deeply changed my life? Am I a Christian just because I was born into a Christian family? Or, you know, ever, you know that's what I think America should be? Or is it because I have a living relationship with the living God? So that's the shallow heart, the divided heart. So there's the hard heart, there's the shallow heart, and then there is the divided heart. Um, and this, I think, is one that hits very close to home for many of us here. 
Jesus uh, said, and some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So how does, a, how does having a, a divided heart impair our ability to hear? What, what, how's that work? <coughs> I would uh, think, remember Keller's uh, marriage example. So Tim knew that when he married his wife, he was making vows to her. And part of those vows was that the, that the marriage has priority over everything else in life except God, right? Every other life commitment. It's way more important than your career. He knew this, right? But he stopped hearing his wife. He stopped being able to listen to his wife because his career and his work had taken center stage and priority and his wife and family sort of slipped into the back seat. Now, if you were to ask him, who do you love more, your career or your wife? For sure he's going to say, of course I love my wife. And I think the same for us. You're like, who do you love more? Do you love your career more? Or God? Do you love your children more? Or God? Do you love your free time and your freedom and vacation time more? Your hobbies more? Or God? All of us are going to say, God, of course. Right? But functionally speaking, functionally speaking, all of the time and energy that Keller was spending in his life, all of the precious time and energy was going to work, not to his family. And it's sort of the same with us, right? We're like, of course I love God more than everything else. But functionally speaking, all of our time goes to work, goes to, you know, this project, to this relationship, to this endeavor. And the reality is, is that that's what it means to have a divided heart. I mean, what you give your heart to, the time and energy and passion, that is what you love, right? And what ends up happening here is, it's not as if faith completely dies out and somehow we cease to become Christians, but what happens is it chokes Right? It chokes the relationship. The fruit, you know, like the tree is alive, but it doesn't bear any fruit. There's no fruit. It doesn't come to maturity. Um, there's no growth. And that, I, mean, I mean, if you feel like that's where you're at in your Christian life, where you're like, I haven't seen much growth. <laughs> I haven't seen much fruit. What's wrong? Well, maybe you have a divided heart. Maybe there's other things in your life that are more important. You don't realize it. So there's a lot of tests for a divided heart, but I just want to, I want to pose this one for you, right? Do you have time for God? Where do you spend your time? Where's your time go? Where's your energy go? What's your calendar look like? I mean, in a way, I could say, you know, show me your calendar and I'll show you your heart. Where do I spend my time? Do I have time for hearing God's voice? Do I have time for God's people? I mean, this is a whole other sermon. But I just want to say this. You cannot hear God's voice by yourself. So I, I'm just going to say this. You staying home at and just streaming video services or having private Bible studies isn't enough. We hear the voice of God through the community. They help us. <laughs> they help us. You need the community to hear God's voice in your life. Okay. Hard heart. Shallow heart. Divided heart. This brings us to the last thing. A good heart. Jesus said, And some seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now the question is, how do we get this kind of heart? This is the heart we want, right? How do you get this kind of heart? 
I mean, it's so, it's just, I didn't see this until <laughs> uh, late in sermon writing. Um, I mean, it's right there. It starts with listening. How do you get the good heart? You listen, right? You listen. Pay attention. That's what Jesus says right after the parable. To him who has an ear, hear, listen, pay attention. A good heart is one that wants to hear from God. A good heart is one that wants to hear from God. Do you want to hear from God? Do you want to hear his voice? This is so important. A good heart is one that wants to hear from God, no matter how challenging or convicting or difficult that message might be. It makes time to hear. It's not too busy to hear and listen to God. And, and it approaches listening with, with humility and openness, right? Um, to the, to the idea that perhaps I have not been listening. This is what had to happen. This was what happens to happen in every marriage where there's a, a, fill, a breakdown of communication. This is what had to happen to Keller. He had to sit in front of his wife with humility and openness and actually listen and consider perhaps there's ways that my heart has been hard or shallow or divided. And Lord, I want to change and I want to repent. I want to do the right thing. And we get a, you get a good heart by listening carefully. But this will only take you so far. And it's really important here to recognize that the power, the power is in the seed, it's not in the soil. The power is in the seed, it's not in the soil, right? Um, all of Jesus' parables have the goal of leading us into genuine relationship and connection with him. And you could think of Jesus as the ultimate parable, his death and resurrection is the ultimate parable. It is the ultimate mystery. There's a reason why the church doesn't continue telling parables after Jesus' uh, ascension. It's because the cross and the re resurrection is the ultimate parable, the ultimate mystery of how the, world, the word of God moves forward and the kingdom is established. Just like Kathy Keller when she, in a sense, acted out this parable of smashing this china her goal was not to shame or to hurt her husband. Her, her goal was to wake him up in order to get him to return love by listening. And it's the same with God with us, right? Jesus challenges us. He offends us. He disrupts our lives because he wants us. He wants to, you know, when God, when God speaks to us, it's not like he's just like, I want you to do these things for me. <laughs> I want you to do what I want you to say. No, he wants a relationship. He wants us. He desires us like a wife desires her husband. But in the parable, Jesus isn't just the sower. He's not just the one who throws the seed. He's also the seed. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, he's the grain of wheat. He's the grain of wheat that falls into the soil and it dies. But it is raised to new life. And it creates much fruit, much abundance. And this is a picture of the word of God and how it works in our life. See, when, when we receive the word of God in our hearts, it is a power. It is the power of new life. It is the power of resurrection. I mean, um, you know, you think about the ways, the power that trees have, right? Think a little oak tree, like a little, little oak, uh, an acorn planted in the ground that grows up big has the power to buckle sidewalks and roads, right? That's the strength that a tree has when it's established. 
And it's the same with the word of God in our hearts, right? When it gets rooted in our hearts, it's this small, this insignificant thing, but the seed drops into our heart and it can change everything. And there's no road, there's, there's no, no obstacle that can ultimately block it. And that's the, this picture of the gospel, like a seed that gets planted in our hearts and it grows to the size of a kingdom. <laughs> Later in the gospel, Jesus will say, um, what is the kingdom of God like? And he returns to this theme of the seed. To what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, super tiny, dust-like, that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made its nest in its branches. Friends, this is a picture, a beautiful picture, of the word of God and the gospel fully grown in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, we, all will, we all continue to listen and hear and to have the humility um, and the openness to hear your voice in our lives. And I know, Lord, that you are speaking to all of us in very personal and particular ways, um, that you want us more, want more of us in your, in your life. And so I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to respond in obedience. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.